Welcome to our podcast. We are the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. We are dedicated to improving the quality and availability of health data for patient care, payment, quality measurement, and public policy. In our podcast, we will talk with innovators in health data to make sense of where and how their contributions fit. Hello, I'm Denny Brennan with the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. Visualizing data is hard. Many of us have experience rendering charts, graphs, and tables from tools like Microsoft Excel, for example, but we're probably not very good at it. Why? Well, data visualization requires thinking hard about what data tell us and how best to present them. If our efforts to present the essence of information lack insight into who we are presenting the information to, how best to present it, and how to fairly and accurately focus on the data that matter, well, we're going to produce visualizations that lack relevance and impact. Kathy Rowell is the co-founder and president of Health DataViz, a company and member of our consortium dedicated to transforming complex health data into visualizations that engage and inform the viewer. Kathy, tell us about Health Data Viz. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So Health Data Viz is a team of health and healthcare professionals. We all have worked in the health or healthcare space. And we are also a team of data visualization experts, which means we know and understand the research of how people see and understand data and information. And then we are a technology team. And although we are tool agnostic, we have specific tools that we use for visualizations. Um, and so that's who the Health Data Viz team is. We're small and mighty. Now, you are one of the founders, but there are two founders, am I right? There are two founders. There's me, and then there's my business partner, Sandra Lawson, Sandy. Um, and we established the firm back in 2013. We had worked together for a number of years, but in 2013, we officially launched uh, Health Data Viz. How has the company changed since 2013? What are some of the things that you've seen in yeah. the data visualization field that have changed over the course of that time? Well, people actually don't look at you cockeyed and want to know what in heaven's name you're talking about. So that's a plus. <laughs> that's a good improvement, right. <laughs> we still have a contingent of folks who don't understand what data visualization is, but uh, you know, we formed the company right before I would say things hit fully, but at the apex of you know a lot of data uh, the emergence of data visualization tools and uh, the mobile phone, you know, more things being small bits of information, graphics being more important. So what we've seen change is that people now understand much more what it is that we do. Uh, and they understand that they need professionals to help them do it. <laughs> um, and we also see that uh, subject matter expertise in whatever domain you're working in is key uh, for us. That's we only work in health and healthcare. So those are some of the things that we've seen, and we've seen that people are 
starting to search us out much more than ever before. Well, that's terrific. Tell us, now let's talk about data visualization. You know, what is it? What is data visualization in your words and why is it so important? Mm. So in many ways, data visualization has been around for a very long time. Um, and we can talk about some of the historical uh, examples. But if you think about statistics, and if anyone's ever taken statistics, you're not unfamiliar with a frequency polygon or a trend line um, or in healthcare run charts, which are you know really trend lines or control charts, bar graphs. So it's taking all of that data and understanding that the 70% of the way people take in information in their world is visually and making it into visual icons that we can understand that represent the data. That as humans, our brains can't find those patterns in oceans and oceans of data. But when we present them graphically, then we can start to see the trends, the shapes, the variations in that data. And so that's essentially what data visual visualization is. It, it's exactly what it says it is. Now, you said many people still don't understand that, uh, still don't understand what it is. What are the barriers that you've encountered to people I think understanding? Big, yeah, that's a great question. I think one huge barrier is that people think mistakenly that graphic art is, or graphic design, is data visualization. It is not. Data visualization is really built on subject matter expertise about the data, about the domain, about statistics. And you have to understand all of those things to present it correctly, to select the right chart type, uh, to make sure you're not misrepresenting the data. And so it's much more built on the foundation of understanding the data and why the data was captured statistically, how to analyze it, than it is just making pretty pictures. And you asked, it reminds me of a story, years ago when we were first starting out, I was talking to a woman executive at a, at a big group that shall remain nameless, um, <laughs> that uh, was a payer group. And at the end of spending time together, she said, took me aside and said, well, you just make pretty pictures. And I thought to myself, all right, someday you might get it, but right now you don't. So here you have it. <laughs> so much for that. Yep. Now, there are tools out there like Tableau, um, and a lot of people rely on these tools, and one might contend that they rely on them too much. Before... Before someone fires up Tableau or another data visualization application, what are some of the things that they should take into consideration? What are some of the questions that they should be asking? You know, we have a very simple analogy, and that is uh, the tool is not the solution. It's a part of the solution. And we say to people, and this resonates, just because you have Microsoft Word doesn't mean that you will write a great American novel. And people get that, right? So just because you have Tableau or Click or Power BI, it, it is part of what you need to know, but it is not the total solution. And it never can be, because if you don't understand the underlying data, what problems it can and can't solve, why it's been captured, how to analyze it, what the stats are around it, and then the best practices of data viz, all of that software will let you do what we technically call knuckleheaded things. So, um, I think the best analogy is the word analogy, right? 
the tool is not the total solution. It is part of the solution. Right. What in your experience are, are some of the great visualizations, but, you know, and, and who are, who have been historically, you know, some of the greatest data visualizers. So, um, you know, in healthcare, clearly, uh, John Snow's cholera map is always an example, and that's a fantastic example. Um, Florence Nightingale and her coxcomb or batwing map about the causes of mortality in the Crimean War is a very famous example. I think one that is less frequently talked about but should be more talked about is Dr. Jack Wenberg at the Dartmouth Institute and the Dartmouth Medical School and his Dartmouth Atlas maps that showed the variation of care in the United States and has really resulted in what we now know as value-based purchasing and really questioning, you know, why is there so much variation in the United States? And those were an absolute game changer. And it wasn't until they put them on these choropleth maps that people started to say and could see the variation and ask the question, why? And then I was actually thinking, um, I was watching a PBS special last night about James Watson who discovered DNA and they were showing how, D, how DNA works and they were using visuals and they showed that it's like a ladder that wraps around each other and then the DNA is the pieces in between the ladder and the two parts of the um, pieces and how they can have different combinations. And the visual was just so brilliant to help you understand DNA and what Watson, uh, you know, discovered, which is some say one of the most important discoveries, you know, in scientific history ever, you know, it's right up there. Right. One of the terms that, that we've talked about prior to this podcast is design thinking. Um, could you talk a little bit about design thinking and why this is at the center of your work? Mm. So design thinking is one of those hot button words these days. Um, and people don't really understand what that means. And essentially the way that I explained it is, explain it is every single thing in our world as humans that we interact with um, has been designed by someone. And design thinking is understanding again, the science and research about human cognition and how we interact with things in our world so that we can improve all of those experiences. Uh, you know, the fame, one famous example is, is it you or is it the remote control? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. not that you're not very bright, it's that the remote control was not designed very well. And so when it was redesigned and now, you know, it's almost usable, that's design thinking. But in healthcare, we're starting to hear more about it in terms of, you know, patient-centered design. So how do patients experience, you know, going to the physician's office? Or how do we design hospital rooms to be uh, better and more conducive to providing care and also having family be with uh, patients when they need them? So all of those things, everything from how you open a jar, you know, to how we design hospital rooms is based in design thinking. For our work, it's understanding how people uh, interact with their mobile phones how they use their mouse or aren't able to use their mouse and how do we make things more accessible to them. Um, 
So design thinking is really how do we interact in the world and how do we design better products, services, whatever it is, it could be educational curriculum. Like how do we design all of those things to be optimal for how humans interact with them? Okay. Um, you're a woman leader in a highly technical field. Um, could you talk a little bit about what you have learned that has surprised you and what you've learned that hasn't surprised you? Um, I think that historically it has frustrated me very much that we see women leaders in healthcare in the spaces just of, and I don't mean just, in the places of, for example, you know, as chief nursing officers or as heads of uh, HR, you know, those have been the paths that they have taken. And you're right, you don't see them in the finance space or the technical space as much. And that is very frustrating to me. And it's changed a bit. And we're seeing more, you know, women who are CEOs of hospitals and groups and um, financial services. So that's really good. We're, we still see fewer of them in the um, technical space. So uh, for me, it's really nice to be a woman in the room to say, well, we're a women-owned business and to be a mentor to young women. And I can't tell you how many times uh, Sandy and I especially will be at a trade show or speaking and the number especially of young women who come up to us and think we are so cool. And to be cool at this age is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm not very cool about many things, but, you know, that young women see that women can have these types of businesses and be successful and, you know, be role models for them. To me, that's like the best. So today we are, you know, we are talking, we are recording a podcast from uh, remote locations because we are in the midst of a pandemic. Um, we've seen more data than we can imagine describing uh, the terrible circumstances that we and everybody else in the world is, is experiencing. Some of these are confusing. Some of these are, are enlightening. You know, what insights can you share that would help our listeners discern the good data presentations or visualizations from the not so good ones? Yes. That's another great question. First and foremost, I think we have to go to the recognized experts in the space. Um, and so <clears throat> that has to be the people who are expert. So the Centers for Disease Control, for example. Um, I'll just say that one. I mean, there are others, but Centers for Disease Control. Or I think Johns Hopkins is doing a lot of good data capture around uh, this information. But you have to really understand the source, like where is it coming from? And that's no different than anything that we've ever known to be true about health and healthcare data and information. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we live in a time where experts seem to be getting um, discounted and we need them more than ever. So whenever I'm looking and thinking about this, I absolutely want to know what is the source and who is telling me this. Um, and 
when we have this complex of a situation, we can't, uh, in my opinion, we cannot think that it's simple bits. We have to spend a bit more time reading and thinking about what is different about this situation? What is different about this compared to flu? And so that requires a little bit of effort on all our parts to really read and think about who's saying what um, and look for those folks. And then I do think that there are some very good visualizations out there. And I will tell you the one that I have been most impressed with has been the New York Times and they make it available for free and they have done a lot of great stuff and I believe they use John Hopkins data and they have a United States map, they have a world map, they have a state map, they have a county by county list, um, they have updated data, they have really great graphics around uh, how frequently will the number of cases, are they expected to double? It's extraordinarily comprehensive. It is extremely simple to use. And it just gives you so much information in bite-sized pieces, but it also explains it clearly. And I trust the source that they are using. So, you know, there are some really great things out there. And then, honestly, and I will use the word, there's a bunch of hacks out there putting things out that just are not right. <laughs> and you got to be careful. That's just misinformation, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Well, I saw the, uh, this morning, as a matter of fact, um, a picture of the front page of the New York Times where they had a, a map of the mortality from COVID-19 by city in the United States. Uh -huh. And the the and they were using you know sort of vertical bars or vertical yes. spikes, and the vertical spike for New York City, which has almost five thousand uh, mortality yeah. mortalities, they had going above the masthead, going through New York yeah. Times and right yeah. to, almost to the top of the page, which I thought was was brilliant. It's it's a little terrifying if you live terrifying. in New York City. Yeah. But the other definitely... one that they did that caught our attention, you know, because we look at different, you know, the Wall Street Journal has some, there are lots of different papers that have them, but the New York Times has really invested heavily, heavily, uh, Amanda Cox leads their team. But um, another one that we saw that we really loved was the unemployment claims. And you see, you know, what they've been historically. And then the same thing at the end, you see the bar that goes all the way up to like, what is it? 10 million or something. Right. And it's just visually stunning. Yeah. So you, like the rest of us, are a virtual business today. Um, how has that changed or not changed your work? Are you seeing um, greater demand? Are you seeing that you have to work differently with folks? How has this affected your, your you know, day-to-day -day operations? Yeah, for us, fortunately, not much has changed. We've always been virtual, pretty much. Uh, we had an office early on because, you know, folks sort of expected it, including us, but then we gave it up because it was just a very expensive post office box. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, 
you know, we just are able to pretty much do everything virtually. Aside from, you know, initial engagements, we go and meet clients and we'll do our discovery sessions and get to know people so that when we are working virtually, you know, we've already made some sort of relationship. Uh, some of that has moved to virtual. We haven't been able to do that with some new clients the past few weeks. But, you know, uh, I, and I would say it's interesting because we've created a real discipline around virtual. And that includes that we always have staff meetings on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at noon, you know, and they are very organized and everyone has to show up and we have meeting minutes and, you know, we just really know how to run a virtual conference and we know how to get in behind folks' firewalls and work with data. We have secure portals for all of our work. We make sure we're HIPAA compliant and everyone has to be tested. So we have really worked out our systems and I would say you can't just let it go willy-nilly. It still requires a structure and the real key to that structure is a commitment to it. You can't say, eh, I don't feel like it today. If it's Tuesday at noon, there is a staff meeting. There's no discussion. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, one, one final question. What have been some of the most exciting engagements? Understanding that uh, respecting the confidentiality of your clients, but yeah. just in general, what have been some of the most exciting projects that you, you and Health Database have been a part of? Yes. Well, I think I can name most of the folks. Um, so recently, some people may know, we just finished a big project for New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, which of course is highly timely. And we redid all of their uh, statistical inquiry tools. We redid all their community health profiles. That was a huge public facing project, you know, New York City Department of Health claims to be the eighth largest public health department. So for a little group like ours, we were thrilled and it's gone over beautifully. Um, we are currently working with Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center on uh, tools overlaid on their research uh, portals so that people can see what's available. And that is just very satisfying because it's so important and just different than other types of work that we do. Then, you know, um, we have also recently been working with different state Medicaid agencies under Innovation Accelerator uh, program grants with the CMS. And those are really exciting because these are folks who don't necessarily have a lot of resources. And so when we help them to leverage the tools that they have and the data that they have, and they're able to show the work that they do, they are so grateful, they're so excited, and you can just see how much they've learned. So I just love those projects where, you know, we could give them almost anything and they think it's fabulous, but when they get something awesome, they're they're really grateful. So yeah, and we teach them a ton of how to do it so that they can fish themselves. So those are some of the projects. And we're deeply gratified that, you know, we have clients who are world renowned and very well known. And so that is very thrilling as well, because we get to see a lot of the things that they do that you wouldn't get to see if you didn't do the kind of work that we do. So that's really fun as well. Yeah, I love seeing new stuff. Well, we're very grateful to have you join us today and, and be a part of our podcast. And 
Uh, I want to thank you, Kathy, for, for joining us, and we look forward to talking with you again. Yeah, thanks, Denny. Been nice to talk to you, and I appreciate the opportunity. So stay safe. Stay you as well. Sane, stay healthy. <laughs> I think I can stay safe. I think I can stay healthy. I'm not sure about the sanity part. <laughs> I have to catch myself all the time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast today. For more information on the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium and other podcasts, please go to our website, mahealthdata.org, where you can find more information and upcoming events. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook.